And the last one is learning. A workplace that learns is a workplace that is able to move forward. So, and when people stop learning, when any group stops learning, that's when the decline kicks in. Welcome to episode 92 of Chaos and Rocket Fuel, the Future of Work podcast. This is the podcast that continues to look at everything in the future of work. It's brought to you by Wanda and Patton. I'm Doug Folks, your host, and I'm with Claire Haydar, who's the CEO at Wanda. Claire, what are we talking about today? So, Doug, we have Marie Gervais as a guest on the podcast today, and she is author of a book about work. She is also a podcaster and she is um, a management consultant, essentially. So very busy woman that has been exposed to many, many different elements of work. But one of the things that interested me most and actually grabbed my attention when I was talking to Marie for the planning call for this podcast was actually her academic background. So forget the management consulting, forget the book, forget all of those. It was actually her academic background around specifically culture and how cultural norms impact workplace habits. Um, that it really tweaked my interest and you know we sparked a bit of a conversation there and we you know bring some of that into this podcast and what makes Marie really interesting is that she herself has an extremely multicultural background which she shares in her story with us you know um, during the course of the conversation but I think Doug the one thing that's really important for you and I to call out about this conversation is that both of us came into the conversation with a preconceived mindset about what it was going to be, and we were both really surprised. Do you agree on that? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I think for one, I thought, mm, topic, I thought maybe it could be a little bit too philosophical or even ethereal, but I was pleasantly surprised just how practical and holistic the whole thing was. She just shared so many practical frameworks, you know. So if you look at the segment one, what we're getting into here is actually just going right back to those roots. So culture and learning in the workplace. You know, we we ask her about her research. You know, we talk about the title of her book and how that relates back to the research that she's done in her past. And then, you know, we just ask, are things like culture and learning some of the best levers that companies can use today to actually change themselves into a better state of being? So very interesting conversation in segment one and then naturally moving into segment two, which we'll cover soon, things get a lot more practical. Yes, let's not jump ahead of ourselves. Let's um, head on over and have a listen to, to Marie Gervais. Marie, hi, it's so good to have you here on the show with us today. And this topic is not a usual one that we cover on, you know, on this podcast. And that means that I'm really looking forward to it. I always like taking the road less traveled with topics and and authors and, and you know, various people who are coming at work from different angles. So welcome. It's good to have you here with Doug and I today. Well, thank you for hosting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Marie, I'm going to dive straight in. And before we actually get to the book that you've written, as well as your specific research focus today, I actually want us to go back a little bit and look at your very early research work. You've done extensive work in the areas of culture and learning in the workplace, which has very much informed the book that you've written. Can you give us a description of the workplace today based on what your research has revealed to you? 
I would say that workplaces range because there's it's not like everything in the world is a homogenized uh experience for people at work but there seem to be some polarized experiences that people are having and i th- i can speak to probably three of them one is people are extremely stressed uh, in their work and they also have their home situations difficult so we have five generations in the workplace right now uh, so and then people are dealing with young children or young grandchildren and they also are taking care of aging parents or relatives or other dependents uh, and then they are still dealing with work. So that stress is um, is constant for many, many people. And um, and then working remote, if they're working remotely and they have a young family uh, or an aging relative that they're caring for, it makes for added stress. So there's that. Um, and then, then there's also this kind of a, a disbelief that with many employers that they feel they can somehow go back. You can never go back in life. You can only move forward. If you stop, you die, and there is no back. (laughs) Unless you do that through some other kind of psychic realm, there is no way to go back to anything. You're always moving forward. And so if people try to force everyone back into the office in the same way, in the same time, doing things the way they were pre-COVID, it's not going to happen. Um, So that is causing disconnects and difficulties. And then any problems that were not, that became highlighted during the worst of the pandemic, and we're not over it yet, and there will probably be another 10 years of pandemics that we can look forward to. People didn't address any of those issues that came up, then they're going to come back stronger and stronger until we do. So that would be, for example, issues of misogyny, racism, lack of diversity of thought, not taking care of people at all and just forcing sort of the the vision of one person on everybody all the time, those kinds of things, uh, technological divides, and you know, all of those things that if they haven't been dealt with, any injustices that haven't been looked at and reflected on are now coming back stronger. So there's all of that is what I'm seeing. When I first started doing research on culture and learning in the workplace, all of those things were there minus the influence of technology and an awareness of the environmental dangers that we're all living in right now. Although those things were there, but nobody was willing to talk about them. And I was shouted off the stage twice when I was trying to give a presentation of my research. One was that people said there is no injustice and no racism in our system anymore. We've removed it. And so that was the first shout off. And the other one was I said, if we really want to look at diversity in the workplace, we also have to look at what people's experience of religion is because between 50 and 80% of people say that they have an affiliation with a religion. And that was shouted off the stage as well. So that was back 20 years ago. (laughs) I'd say we're addressing them, at least in speech. I don't think we've necessarily come to a practical way to deal with them in the workplace. Marie, the title of your book, which I'd love for you to share with us, as well as the blurb, alludes to the opinion that you believe work needs to be something different, which is very much, you know, confirmed by what you've just shared with us. Is this an accurate insight on my part? And and what is that something different that you believe it should be? Yes. Well, the title of the book is The Spirit of Work, Timeless Wisdom, Current Realities. And it looks at work from three different perspectives. One of them is to look at what did the sacred texts of all of the world religions that I could find that were speaking about work and the workplace, directly or indirectly, what did they have to say? And would any of those things be able to inform us to a new future of work? 
And the second one is what does science have to say about how we can bring our best selves to work? And the third one is what do businesses that are showing promising advances, what are they doing right? How can we encourage that? And there are some examples of businesses that are doing something that's not very promising. And how could that be readjusted so that it can move forward rather than being stuck in the past? So those are the three frameworks. The other piece of it is that I look at the workplace from the individual, the community, and the institutional perspectives. So what do individuals need to do? What do we need to do as a community of people or communities of people? And then what are the corporate or institutional governmental responsibilities for healthy and happy workplaces that are also productive? There are some very useful things in the book about the workplace. And I think the most useful and immediately applicable principle is the one of choosing to think speak and do soul enhancing rather than soul diminishing actions. So soul enhancing would be things that expand human potential, purpose, connectedness, helping people to feel included, paying attention to what is possibly an injustice or a marginalization happening, uh, and power differentials, and finding ways to say things and do things and think things that are going to really affect for the good. Uh, And an example of how powerful thought would be, I was giving a talk to a high school. I don't remember what the context was, but it was a high school, and there were a thousand high school students in this auditorium. And I was talking about how important it was, how they showed up at school, and what they were thinking about each other. And I had them do what's called a muscle test, where you put your arm up and someone else pushes down on it, and you see if your arm is strong, depending on what you think or what substance you're holding in your hand. So I asked for a really strong buff guy. Uh, to come up and we tested how strong his arm was. And obviously he was very strong and everyone uh, could see that. And then I asked everyone to just think negative thoughts about him. And his arm went down and he said, I can't believe it. I can't hold my arm up. What's going on? And then I said, now let's, let's think how much he matters to you and how important he is to this school. And they did that for less than 20 seconds. And his arm was so strong, I could hang from it and swing from it. That's the power of thought. And so if we are thinking negative things about each other in the workplace, then we are actually handicapping the productivity of the workplace from a practical standpoint. And from a a morale standpoint, it makes everybody feel bad about being at work. And so when we do the opposite, it has a huge effect on the workplace. Doug, time for you to jump in. I'm definitely going to jump in. Marie, very nice to meet you from my side. And thank you for that really encompassing introduction, if you like, to our podcast and the work that you've done. Nice to meet you too, Doug. I've got a couple of things. I've got a question here, but just running off the back of what you said, it's very obvious that what you're talking about is a very holistic view of the person and the work. And I I did read that you say that currently you believe that work and being human are not connected. So how do you practically bring your whole self to work and not just turn up to do the work? Well, in the book, there are five themes, although there are eight chapters. And the first theme is bringing your soul to work, which I talked about already with soul enhancing, so people can see that in a practical way, thinking thoughts that are going to help people instead of hinder them and help yourself instead of hindering yourself. So that's the first one. The second one is bring your mind to work, bring your body to work, bring your heart to work, and you are bringing your community to work. Do you know who you're bringing? So um, each of those gives very specific things that you can do. Bring Your Mind to Work talks about thinking styles and learning to work with people who don't think like you, uh, which is really necessary right now. 
that's part of it, part of that one. Uh, bring your heart to work is about how we actually can't have a thought without an emotion and how being aware of our emotions allows us to be more emotionally regulated, not less emotionally regulated at work. And bring your body to work has a whole series of themes starting with breathing and getting enough oxygen into your blood all the way up to how you would deal with eating on a night shift and dreams and how they affect our health. So it goes all the way through every piece of physical health. Each of those has very practical nuggets in it for what you can choose to do. And uh, even doing one of them can make a big difference. You know, it's stopping to breathe deeply um, a couple of times a day can make a big difference in how you show up at work. So there's that, that piece. Community is about the main inequities that people face in the workplace and how we can become both aware of what they are and also aware of our potential for growth and expansion as an organization as we move past those into something that's much greater than what we were before. Uh, that has to do with being being courageous and knowing how to do things in a politically appropriate way <laughs> so you don't you so the oppressed doesn't become the oppressor or things like that. Thank you. Yeah, certainly very practical. Mm -hmm. Claire, have you got anything you'd like to jump in on there because it's certainly yeah, there's a lot of ideas there. Marie, the question that, that sort of floated up to me while you were walking through those five different areas there, the soul, community, heart, mind, and body, you know, when you shared with us in terms of how you actually structured the book, you know, going back to the sacred traditions, looking at actual businesses and what they're doing today, both good and bad. And then you also said, you know, you went back to the science. Can you maybe share with us specifically the science? hone in on that piece, like share with us some of the sources that you consulted and, you know, did you come at it from a neurobiological angle? Did you come at it purely from a psychological angle? Like what was the science that you were tapping into to put the book together? Great question. I was expecting someone to ask that question much earlier, not for this podcast, but I've been on quite a number of podcast interviews and I keep saying, someone's going to ask me, what science are you talking about here? <laughs> so thanks for asking that. <laughs> Good. Um, well, first off, there are 25 pages of single-spaced references. So I, this is a very carefully referenced book. I didn't just come to this with a bunch of opinions that I was going to throw out there. Um, although I started that way, and then once I started doing the research, I thought, you know what, I really have to start thinking about this. I think something that's worth mentioning is that I tried to find as much as possible indigenous um, applications of things as well. So I'm looking for Indigenous approaches to the workplace and Indigenous approaches to science, which comes up in a few times in the book. And then I looked at a lot of different workplace happiness and workplace health surveys and indexes from around the world. One reference that I referred to several times is Graham Lowe's book called Creating Healthy Organizations, Taking Action to Improve Employee Wellbeing. And that one talks a lot about how people have taken a lot of steps to do things like, for example, you know, daycare at work and having a gym at work, but people are still not any healthier and they're not they're taking, taking advantage of those kinds of wellness perks that are there. And it's because it's not based on purpose and unity of thought and, and actually acknowledging people and talking to them. So um, here's another one, Dying for a Paycheck, How Modern Management Harms Employee Health and Company Performance by Jay Pfeiffer. So there are there are lots of them. I think the one that came to mind immediately when you asked that question is just actually the research on dreams, which was very interesting to me. And that was that I looked at a lot of medical journals and neurobiological research, and then I also looked at what the sacred traditions had to say about dreaming. And then I looked at what you know, psychology and sociology have to say about dreaming. 
And the thing that stood out for me in the neurobiological standpoint is that we actually have five sleep cycles a night, three to five sleep cycles a night, and there are four phases to each of those cycles. And that if we don't have three cycles, complete cycles, then what happens is that we come to work with the same effects as if we had a hangover. And usually we need five of those sleep cycles. So people can have those sleep cycles in between six and 10 hours of sleep, depending on their own uh, biological uh, sleep pattern requirements. But they need to go through a complete cycle for the body to regenerate itself. And that's why sleep is so important. And then we don't sleep well if we can't rest. And so then all the research that was based on resting and what we need to do to rest and what is rest and play and how to rest, play and sleep and dreaming all interact with each other. So there are lots and lots of references on there. I don't think I want to quote mm. too many more. But yes. Yeah. No, Gives you sure. an idea. So I didn't just, you know, jump in there and say, do whatever. Uh, I actually researched it really carefully. And then I found out what do sacred texts have to say about dreaming. And they were very clearly across four different religious backgrounds in the sacred, their sacred texts. I found specific references to the importance of dreams, how to interpret dreams, and what dreams you should take seriously, and how a dream would be affecting your health adversely. And so the adverse dreams, dream is also um, part of the neuro, neurological science. So adverse dreams mean you have dreams where it's just a disconnected, discombobulated bunch of series of events that don't mean anything. So if you have dreams where you're thinking, where you're remembering those things, that is a sign that your body's not healthy. So, so let me just clarify there. Sorry, because I'm not sure I understand you fully. Are you basically saying that if the dream itself is not cohesive while you're dreaming it. It doesn't follow an actual storyline or like a progression of events that would represent reality. And it's just a mangled mash of things happening that that's a sign of unhealth. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I think a way that you can look at, because dreams are often not representations of reality, they're very different. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's why I'm... Yeah, it's a completely different state of being. And each of the dream cycles has it, puts you into a different state. Our alive and awake, I mean, our awake lived experience is really a small part of who we are. So no, it's not going to follow that pattern, which would be limiting. But if you wake up in the morning anxious with a whole list of, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, that's a sign that your dreams are, I guess what... Buddhists would call monkey mind dreaming, which means that they're sort of all over the place and they're, they're, they just promote anxiety. So the way you can tell if your dreams are promoting anxiety or not is how you wake up in the morning. Yes, that, yeah. that does help to clarify. So it's, mm-hmm. it's basically reconciling your state of being at the point of waking up and tying that back to your dreams. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not saying that when I'm researching this book that each of the pieces that are in there are things I can do. I can do a lot of them, but I'm st- still always learning. And the, the things that I think I know, I find out there's there are lots more to learn or that I might change my mind completely about it. And the whole piece about dreaming has really influenced me because I'm thinking I rarely remember my dreams. Um, and, and, I, and I was concerned about this idea of waking up anxious and how does that reflect in other parts of my life so that I have been thinking and working through that a lot myself. I wouldn't say I'm there yet. And I could say, oh, look, here's an aha moment. But doing the research certainly sparked that interest. Marie, you know, I know that you listened to some of the the previous podcast episodes that we've done in preparation for our conversation. If you haven't listened to the series that we did with Dr. Eric Corum 
I would highly recommend that you go and look at that because a lot of what you're touching on and a lot of what you've researched touches his research. And he actually, the reason why we brought him onto the podcast was actually for that exact reason is to talk about sleep because he's actually done a PhD in sleep. And one of the things that he mentioned, Doug, I don't know if you can remember this in our conversation with him, but what his research has revealed is that the importance of dreams is actually one of the functions and naturally sleep overall is this, but there's a very specific function that dreams play in actually cleaning the brain. Yes, um, exactly. Yes. That's what I also yeah. found. Yeah. Well, if you're looking at the performance management uh, research, it's, it's very clear. Performance management was one of the areas I looked into quite seriously when I was writing the book. So I, I'm totally going to listen to that episode. Thanks for pointing that out to me. Definitely do. Um, both Doug and I, it was one of those kind of episodes where we both like literally immediately straight off to the podcast went and made some changes in our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that brings us to the end of the first part of our conversation about creating a more spiritual workplace with Marie Gervais. To follow the conversation further, make sure to catch the next two parts on Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts, or on Wonder's website, wndyr.com. From Claire and myself, we'll see you soon.